I always felt I would recognize rock bottom when I hit it. But sadly, what I realized in that moment was that it's not so much something that you feel as something that you don't. Mm. I didn't feel anything anymore. I was just really beaten down Mm. and I didn't know what I was going to do. And basically I had two choices to give up or get up. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 131, The Undefinable Spirit, Janet Lynn Morrison, From Zero to Fierce. Welcome to another episode of The Undefinable Spirit, and our phone guest today is mother, business owner, author, motivational speaker, and more, Janet Lynn Morrison. Borrowing a quick excerpt from her About page on our website, she states, quote, As I went through my young teenage life, I was navigating an abusive, alcoholic stepfather and mother until the day I came home to locked doors. Being underage meant being sent to a girl's home where the abuse and bullying became even more unbearable, end quote. And so began a lifetime of frequent struggles that constantly tested her resiliency while embarking on a personal mission to inspire others along the way. In a minute, we'll be talking to Janet Lynn, who began her life in the Ontario city of Windsor, directly across the U.S. city of Detroit, Michigan. She's a classically trained pianist who studied with the Royal Conservatory of Music, earning her performers ARC, or Artists of the Royal Conservatory, and is currently a mother of three, runs three successful physical health-related businesses, and by her own admission, is a curious mix of nerd, tomboy, and nature lover, spending as much of her time as possible enjoying the outdoors, especially during the summer and winter months, and, not surprisingly, trains in a variety of sports. She's also a motivational speaker, having spoken to countless groups, and is an avid reader, writing her own fiction novel, Surviving 17, which explores a young woman's issue of friendship, self-reliance, and inner strength. She claims her life has been defined by one very important choice, and she's created Zero to Fierce in 60 Days, a series of eight essential inner and outer mind cleansing steps designed to help every dreamer create their dream life. Good afternoon, Janet Lynn. We appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Good afternoon, Peter and Harry. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. Well, obviously, your adolescent life was a major turning point and the start of a series of challenging and life-changing moments. Uh, How would you describe your early childhood and preteen years? My early childhood, I remember very fondly, and I had a brother that was 18 months older than myself. We were very close, and I grew up in a very musical family. Both parents played a multitude of instruments. I myself played the violin in addition to the piano. My brother played the cello also, as well as the piano. All four of us played the piano, and we spent many of the early years going to nursing homes and traveling and playing music for 
people just for the pleasure of it. And so I do have, like I said, very fond memories. Grew up with a pool in the backyard and had lots of fun barbecues and that sort of thing. And it all kind of came to a halt, unfortunately, when I was nine years old. So that's a tender age for everything to come falling down all around you. And uh, I was quite shocked because I recall many of my friends telling me that their parents were getting divorced and such. And I felt so lucky feeling, well, that's not happening in my home anytime Mm -hmm. soon. Mm -hmm. And then it did happen. And uh, I was separated from my brother and went to live with my mother. That is the starting of a very different chapter in my life. Which brings us to at the age of 14, apparently one day you come home and find yourself locked out of your family home. This happens on and off. And by the age of 15, you drop out of grade 11 and you enter a girl's home and remain there until getting your own apartment at the age of 16. Why were you locked out at 14 and what transpired during the following two years? Well... The reason that I was separated from my brother and my father was because my mother had a penchant for being in control. And it was her desire that I would be a concert pianist and that she would mold me into such. And it was something that meant a lot to her, I think, to show me off to friends and other family members. And she was a piano teacher herself, and she was always showcasing me. And the reason that I would come home to close doors was a part of that control. So I did have a stepfather at this time and we did not get along. He was complete opposite of what I was used to and what my father was. And I didn't appreciate him or the relationship that he had with my mother. And for my mother, she made her new husband the apple of her eye and the focus of all of her activities from day to day. Making sure that he was comfortable and pleased was very important to her. And I sort of got in the way. So wanting to be a regular teenager and go out with my friends and go to barbecues or parties or to the movies or what have you, I would be allowed to go sometimes And sometimes she would change her mind and tell me that I had to stay home. So I became very defiant and oppositional. I think that I had that running through my veins from an early age. And I would come home and if I was even one minute late, I would find that door to be locked. And there was always a note accompanying the locked door. Mm. And it would just say, you're late. And I would have to figure out what I was going to do, where I was going to go. I could stand there knocking until the cows came home. That door was not going to open. Mm. So that happened when I least expected it. And so I never knew what was going to happen. I trained my friends who were driving me home or walking me home to stay waiting. And I I started to develop little backup plans and, and scope out garages and sheds and you know, that sort of thing Mm. so that I could find somewhere to sleep. So that's what happened at that point in time. And it became insufferable to be living at home. And my mother was often very angry and there was a lot of fighting and discord, a lot of violence and different things that Mm -hmm. made it very, very 
unpleasant and unhealthy to be living there. And then I was finally forced to go and live in a girl's home, which was a very awful place to be, especially with the kind of background that I had, because the girls in this place, they were very different from what I was used to, as I was very different from what they were used to. But if I wanted to get out of there and move into my own apartment and have my own space, I had to go through the program and I had to put in my time. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. Just out of curiosity, would you say that your mother's family sort of were equally controlling for her? Do you think this is something that that ran through her family, her upbringing? Well, I know very little about my mother's upbringing, except for the fact that her parents were divorced. Uh And my mother, at a very young age, had to be both sister, mother, and apartment keeper in her own family. And her mother was a very disciplined woman who had gone through the war, Mm. German lady. And uh, I believe that they were on welfare and she made ends meet by cleaning apartments. And my mother had three younger brothers that she was put in charge of. Mm. Wow. Well, here's a question for you that I'd like to ask, you move through all of these early tribulations, you find some educational opportunities, you go for that to attain, in your own words, quote, a decent life, unquote. How did these educational pursuits affect or change the quality of your life? I think there's various things that it did. I was brought up in a family that encouraged education. I, from the youngest age, remember my parents saying, You can't do anything without having a good education. So that Mm. was one of the building blocks of my growing up years. And it seemed that the environment where learning was taking place had other like-minded people and people that had strict ideas of becoming successful and having things that they wanted to achieve in life. Mm -hmm. And people are often taking courses and learning in areas of study that interest them. And that makes things exciting. And it just gave me a feeling that I was a part of real life, you know, the good life where there were going to be opportunities and doors opening for me. So again, I had that built into me already. And I felt that even though I was very different from most people my age, I needed to live a straight, narrow, healthy life as best as I could. And Mm -hmm. I felt that doing that, especially at my young age, I belonged in school. I belonged in an environment of learning and I thrived on it. I'm still thriving. Yeah. Life is full of choices one way or the other. And you say that your life has been defined by one very important choice, quote unquote. What, What was that choice and what precipitated it? Well, one terrible night, I was literally underneath a park bench and it was pouring rain and things had never been so terrible. Mm. And I thought to myself, wow, this is really rock bottom. And I was very surprised because I always felt I would recognize rock bottom when I hit it. But sadly, what I realized in that moment was that it's not so much something that you feel 
as something that you don't. Mm. I didn't feel anything anymore. I was just really beaten down Mm. and I didn't know what I was going to do. And basically I had two choices to give up or get up. So my decision was to get up and do what I had to do. And I made a lifelong decision. And I've kept that going all of these years through thick and thin. Everything that I've gone through is just always to get back up. No matter how many times I get kicked down, I always get back up. That's an amazing choice as a teenager to be able to make that kind of choice and stay with it and commit to it, isn't it? Well, when you're in that place of not knowing what else you can do, mm-hmm. you just have to make a decision. And I thought to myself, well, there's a lot of beautiful things. I have some wonderful memories and I loved life. I love jumping into puddles and the sound that the dried leaves make underneath your boots. And I loved sunsets and warm breezes and the taste of ice cream and so many things that I loved. And I decided that this was a bad time, but I remembered all of the good times and I knew that there would be more of those. So at the time, it didn't seem like a hard decision to make. It gave me strength and it filled me up with hope. And I got up. Yeah, I can relate to the part about not allowing things to snuff you out, so to speak. When in light of everything that's happening, somehow you still are able to go to those positive and good memories and good thoughts that keep you going. So here you are at 16, going to your own apartment What exactly happened there and what happened over the next few years in terms of re-educating yourself or whatever else was going on in between? Well, that was an event all in its own. I was in this apartment and I remember my mother not having a lot of contact with me and she assumed that I was up to no good and doing teenage type things that were not good things. And she didn't believe me when I explained to her that I was still in school and that I had a couple of part-time jobs and that I was doing okay and that I was actually in bed early and doing my homework and all that kind of thing. She didn't really have a lot to do with me at that time. I think that part of her was in pain because I was no longer there. And I think that she probably on some level felt bad. Mm -hmm. So when I was in that apartment, I continued going to school and tried to live my life the way I was living it before. It wasn't that different, except for I had some peace. Because even when I was living at home, I was always left to my own devices, sometimes for days over the weekend when my mother and her husband would go away for the weekend, for an impromptu weekend. And I just sort of made do and got used to that. And I was used to cooking my own meals and cleaning and taking care of myself, basically doing my own laundry from a very young age. So it really wasn't that different. I remembered being very frightened Mm -hmm. at nighttime because I had never lived in an apartment before. And there was a lot of different people, not the kinds of people that I had had around me before. And unfortunately, the rumor mill 
got very busy and it didn't take long before the entire school found out about my circumstances. Mm. And I think that it confused the teachers. They didn't know what to think of me. I still remember the looks on their faces when I would show up for class. And then the kids, they started to come to the apartment and throw rocks at my window and Mm. call me on the phone. And I'll never forget once when one of the most popular, uh, good-looking guys in school who I'd never even talked to in my entire life showed up and knocked on my door. And I let him in and he was obviously on drugs. And he said that he was running from the cops and could he hide out? And it was just like something you'd see in the movies. Mm. And I just remembered thinking, I can't believe that this guy is in my apartment right now. Mm. So he didn't stay for long and it was very surprising. But then this wasn't the first time or the last time. And he would come around again, as did other people that I didn't really know. And then rumors started to spread around the school that I was entertaining people in my apartment I'm sure you catch my drift yeah, by that, yeah. that yeah. word. And um, I started to receive death threats that really? people would slip under my door saying, watch your back. And I was called all kinds of terrible names. And so I became very frightened. There was also a laundry room in the apartment building. And I posted something down there saying that I could clean apartments to make extra money. And there was a particular man that wanted my services to clean his apartment. And I had one rule that he wasn't allowed to be there Mm. when I did the cleaning. And um, the first couple of times it worked out. But then the third time he was there with a buddy of his and they were watching a football game or something on TV. And I kept asking them when they were leaving and getting busy with my chores. And uh, things got really out of hand and they were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. Mm-hmm. And it didn't end well. But mm-hmm. once that happened, I received even more threats and it became very bad for me to be there. So I literally packed up my stuff. I wrote a letter to the landlord apologizing because I couldn't get all my stuff out of the apartment. I just sort of filled a bag or two and I jumped on via rail and I went to Toronto. Uh-huh. Wow. Quick exit. And you're how old at this point? It was in October. So I had just turned 17. How did you sustain yourself for the next few years? Well, once I got there, it was interesting because I had a pen pal that lived there and it was a male friend, just a friend. And his mother turned out to be someone that, well, her job in Toronto was to help teens, specifically female teens that weren't having a good time at home. And they opened their house up to me and let me stay in a room while I figured out what I was going to do. And while I got enrolled in a school and she didn't have many discussions with me, 
it was a very busy household, but that is what I did. I got a job down the road working as a waitress at a restaurant and I went to night school. I started in day school, but it was just so different from what I was used to. I wasn't comfortable there. So I ended up going to night school and mixing my days and nights up with work and school. And I just continued on that way. And I would get another job and then another job. And at one point I had three jobs and school going and I just filled up my time. And what was your primary work, say, from the ages of 20 to 25? Oh, I did different things. I was very good at getting jobs and I was bilingual as well. So I had an acquaintance who was a headhunter in downtown Toronto and she loved me because whenever a new job would come around, she would call me and say, I know you've only been at this job for a few months, but this one pays, you know, $10,000 more and I really think you're going to love it. So I was everything from a travel agent to working for a law office. I also worked for Western Broadcast Sales, which sells television commercial airtime. I worked for a film company. I was just all over the place, enjoying different jobs and learning and meeting new people and exploring my avenues. I also got into modeling for a time and I was really hopeful. I was even on a talk show with Deanie Petty. Yeah. And it was all about how there's many different markets and you can look different ways in order to be a model and the things to look out for, the bad things in the industry, like the bad photographers and this and that. And at the end of that show, within 24 hours, I had offers to go to the Orient, which was where my market was. And I was going to sign a contract. And I guess that just wasn't in the cards for me because I ended up having a terrible internal catastrophe that led me to having a very unpleasant operation and that left me with 80 staples and a Ooh. very unsightly scar. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Wow. So at 25, you discover that you're pregnant and at 26, you become a mom for the first time, a single mom by your own choosing, an event, mm -hmm. which, an event which by your own account saved your life and made you realize your purpose. How did becoming a mother save your life and give you purpose? I don't think that I was meant to be just flying through life the way that I was. I was sort of flitting here and there and I was learning and all of that good stuff and meeting great people, but I didn't really have a sense of purpose. I didn't really know what I was meant to do, mm -hmm. but I always had this feeling like I was meant for something special. I didn't know what that was. I certainly didn't expect it to be motherhood. As soon as I found out I was pregnant, I was quite stunned, but I embraced it and I thought and I made a, a promise to myself and to my unborn child and to God that I was going to be the best mom on the planet. And I did everything while I was pregnant to set myself up for success. I read every book I could get my hands on and I did all of the right things. And once I had my beautiful daughter, I was just in love. And I realized that this was something that I could do 
extremely well and that I could nurture another human being. And in doing so, it gave me a feeling of of such strong love for not only life, not only my daughter, but also for myself, Mm -hmm. my confidence soared. And I knew that I could get through any situation because here I was, I didn't have any support and I was doing it. And I was raising this beautiful child up by myself and she was thriving and we were having the best time. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful time in my life. Now, you said the word God came out of your mouth just now, moments ago, and which made me immediately think, well, how did spirituality, your sense of the spiritual play into not only your decision to be a single mom and raise a child on your own, but all of these choices in your life? Well, I was raised in and out of churches. Mm-hmm. My father was Anglican. My mother was a strict Roman Catholic when he met her. And my parents, they didn't do church every Sunday, but they were a really interesting couple and they liked to explore different churches and they wanted their kids to be open to learning new things and new religions. And so we church hopped is what my parents used to call it. (laughs) And we lived across from Detroit, Michigan, and my parents were very outgoing. My father had a lot of acquaintances and friends and traveled a lot. And we would go visiting friends and go to their churches. And uh, I always had that in me from a very young age. As I got older, And I explored even more religions and was involved with many different people who weren't involved in religion. I just sort of learned as much as I could from everybody. And so some people may call it God or some people call it the universe or whatever everyone calls it. That's up to them. But Mm -hmm. yes, I do personally believe that there is a God. And I talk to this God and I I pray to this God. And and this is an influence in my life that keeps me in check. Mm. I like to put it that way. I know how I'm supposed to be as a person to get the kind of life that I want. And so I follow the rules that have been set out and that I learned at a young age. And so I try to live by those rules. And it helps me to believe in something and it just tethers me to something that's I may not be able to see, but that forces me to have faith. Right. And and that's what everything is about is having faith that you can get the job, having faith that tomorrow will be pain-free, whatever it may be in your life that you're going through, having faith is the most important thing. And so I'm so glad that my parents raised me having faith and a belief, and it wasn't forced down my throat. It was more of a choice, and I choose to believe in something that's good and pure and that's mysterious and something that um, requires me to have a faith. Right. And the clock ticks here. You're now with your daughter, who's four years of age. You're 29. You decide to get married, and you also unexpectedly learn of your mother's terminal diagnosis. You referred to your mother originally as a tyrant in your life, yet you somehow managed to mend 
that seemingly unrepairable relationship and very compassionately supporting your mother in her dying years. What spurred you to rise above that? And what was the outcome for both you and your mother? What spurred me was my selfish desire to feel good and to be happy and to be able to feel joy and create a life that I was proud of and that my daughter could be proud of and create wonderful memories and to just live the best life that I could. And I always knew that in order to do that, I needed to forgive. And so it was selfish and it was able to do a lot of different things because my mother was quite surprised by the fact that I forgave her for so many things, but it gave us an opportunity to talk about all of the different things. And my mother was quite shocked at many of the things that were going on that she didn't realize were going on and that she had chosen to not see. And that helped her grow as a person and really opened her eyes to her own life and her past. And it helped her, I think, to go on and um, figure some things out in her own life that she needed to with regards to her own mother. So it was a beautiful thing because my mother was told that she only had three months to live. And me being the kind of person that I was, I never take no for an answer. And, and as I mentioned, when I get kicked down, I get right up. So I made it one of my purposes in life to teach that to other people, not teach them per se, but to demonstrate by doing those things myself. And so I told my mother that I was going to find her help. And I did just that. And I found her a place that would treat her and we got her into Princess Margaret Hospital in Toronto, and that gave her another five years. She was able to have a relationship with me, with my husband, with my daughter, and then later my other daughter. She even lived until my third daughter was born and got to hold her, and it allowed us the opportunity to love one another and to laugh and to get to know each other. We had so many amazing conversations. I learned about her father, who mm -hmm. I had never really heard much about. And I learned more about her mother. And I had so many aha moments where I was like, wow, now this makes sense to me. Yeah. And this was not conversations I had with her, but with myself. And I thought, that's why my mother treated me like that. And wow, now that makes sense. And it was just really incredible. Mm -hmm. And during that time too, she mended some fences with her own mother. And I had only seen my grandmother a couple of times. And then I was able to uh, spend some time with the two of them at the same time. And it was mm -hmm. really incredible. So none of that would have happened if I had remained bitter. And if I hadn't forgiven her, yeah. um, I don't think any of it would have happened. Mm -hmm. And I helped her get away from her third husband, who was an alcoholic and was abusive as well. And I gave her some peace 
before she died. And I held her hand while she died and she wasn't mm. alone. And that was a very different outcome than any of us could have expected. That's a beautiful story. I mean, it's a story of understanding and forgiveness and resiliency, which seem to be the operative words in your life. It's been 16 years since your mother has passed, approximately. You're still married mm -hmm. to the same man who fathered your second and third daughters. You've gone on to run three successful physical health-related businesses. You've authored your first novel, become a motivational speaker, among other endeavors. I mean, how much of this do you think has been driven by your direct experiences, and how much do you think comes from instinctive or innate talents? I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> Very honest answer. It's funny because I'm asked similar questions a lot. Sometimes it may just be having friends over for dinner and we end up having a conversation that leads to something. And again, I've been asked that question a lot and I've wondered it. I think that we're all born with a purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think that the challenge of life is to figure out what that purpose is and to allow yourself to be driven by it. And all I can say to you is that ever since I can remember thinking, I had thoughts of how I could help other people. I always wanted to help people. As a small child, I was always very empathetic. I remembered the kids in school that would fall down or were sick or unhappy or were being bullied or whatever was going on. I've always been very, very sensitive. And I'm always wanting to do something to make somebody feel better. And even if it means me not feeling good. I don't know if that made sense. I mean, if I could make somebody comfortable and be less comfortable myself, that would make me feel good, but I would be uncomfortable. Does right. that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes. So it's a, a driving need that I have. And I'm always looking for ways that I can put a smile on someone's face, whether I know them or not. I like to leave the house and look for opportunities every day to pay it forward or mm -hmm. to create a situation where people are better for it after it's happened. And if it's inspiring or motivating or just smiling and acknowledging someone, that's what I'll do. You just made me think about something in my own life. When I was a young boy, I was once asked, or perhaps more than once, but what I wanted to do. Of course, I was very young. I don't even know if I was preschool or while I was in an elementary school. And I would say that I wanted to run an orphanage. <laughs> um, it took me probably 40, 50 years to figure out why I was saying that. And so yeah. what you just said resonates with me because part of your experience is and if you mix it with that joy that you have for living and you don't even know where it comes from, but you ask yourself, how did I get through all that and still be positive and still feel good about life? And I think it's that combination of that feeling along with your own experience of having had to deal with such adversity that somehow you're going to now translate that into perhaps helping others. And of course, in the process, as you probably know, you're helping yourself. Mm -hmm, definitely. So, so moving on from that, I just wanted to get to the COVID part of the conversation. You currently run two round nine fitness franchises, one in Orangeville and more recently one in Guelph, which have directly and significantly been affected by COVID-19. 
What's it been like for you, and what's the current status for reopening either or both locations? Well, it's been very frustrating. I had no idea when it was all happening that it would affect me so, because everything was uncertain and the news was uncertain. Nobody really knew what was going to happen or really what was happening. They came up with these ideas for these different phases. And right from the uh, beginning, it seemed that certain businesses were necessary and other ones were not as necessary. So it became known probably after about a month or two that fitness facilities were going to be in the phase three, the last phase, which I thought was very sad because I think that in order to live your best life, one must be physically fit and not only physically fit, but mentally fit because mm-hmm. exercise does that. It helps you to get stronger physically and mentally. And it gives you a sense of power in your life and it helps you to get through every situation. And so it was very frustrating to find out that we wouldn't be allowed to open. It gave the wrong message, I think, to society. Like, okay, grocery stores are a necessity. Nail salons, hair salons became a necessity. Of course, liquor stores and (laughs) various other things were all necessities. Mm -hmm. However, the physical fitness, like I do understand that there is worry about things through sweat, uh, getting transmitted and other things. But really, I mean, you can jog past someone on the street and or even stand next to someone that is just sweating because they're hot. And I think that as long as we follow the protocols and have a system, a good system in place, that's all that was necessary. And we do have all of that in place. And the social distancing will happen within the facility. However, as soon as we did get the green light open, we picked a date to open the two gyms up. And we had a lot of people happy that we were going to be opening. But at the same time, The same people that were happy were very quick to send in their cancellation notice. And we went from being an A gym and being full of very happy people getting stronger mentally and physically in 30 minutes to dwindling numbers now to the point where we were not able to open. So we did choose a date in August and actually today was the day we were supposed to open in Guelph, followed by Orangeville a week later. And we had to send out an email letting everyone know that we decided that this wasn't the right time. Mm. And we're hoping that September will be different. So we've been reaching out to our members and even though they want to come back, there's still an overwhelming feeling of fear and uncertainty and people just don't know what to do. So I think that with the schools resuming, I think that's going to be very good for us. And when things go a little bit more back to normal Mm. and once people experience a feeling of a little bit of a loss of control with sending their kids back to school, 
I think that that will help them to just sort of ease into life again the way it used to be and hopefully we'll be able to open soon. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure if this is through the Round 9 Fitness franchise, but you also offer a program that you call Zero to Fierce in 60 Days. And when I saw that, I thought, wow, what an interesting choice of words. The word fierce is a very interesting choice. So I'm wondering if you can talk about what that word means to you. And can you also talk a bit about what the program is designed to do for people? Sure. Zero to fierce. I love those words. It gives you a picture right away when you say those words because zero is having nothing Mm -hmm. and I was in a place in my life where I had nothing and fierce is giving the idea that there was a fight and I became fierce by looking challenges in the eye and basically saying I'm not going anywhere I'm here to stay and I'm tenacious and I'm strong and powerful and nothing's going to knock me down so that's what Zero to Fierce is all about I'm writing a book that is called Zero to Fierce and I designed a program the program specifically is to help women recognize their own strength and it's eight steps that help them to identify where they're at and where they want to go mm-hmm. and how they can become fierce themselves. Oh, that's really interesting. And mm-hmm. is it a popular program or lots of women connected to it? Yes, I, I have quite a few testimonials on my website mm-hmm. and um, it's taken a little bit of a back seat for a little while because I've been very busy writing. I have another fiction romance novel coming out that's called Forever is Today. Cool. I just signed the contract or the paperwork was completed three weeks ago and I'm really excited. So that's taking up a lot of my time. I'm working with a company and they're sprawled out in various uh, parts of the world. So they've all got me doing different things, helping me with my marketing and my branding and all of that. So I'm busy Mm. with that. Like I said, I am also writing this Zero to Fierce novel. I'm hoping that it will become a platform in its own right so that I can get opportunities to be in front of men and women and talk about how I did it and how they too can do it in their own life. So it's very um, exciting. That's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations on the book. That's thank you very much. With all the things you've accomplished so far in your life and what would you like people to remember you for? What kind of legacy would you like to leave your daughters, for example? I love that question. I would like to be known as being one of the strongest women that someone has ever met. I would like to inspire people. I would like people to say that I inspired them and motivated them to believe in themselves and to think about the dreams that they may have had as a small child and to recognize that that dream is still there and that there's still lots of time, no matter what stage you're in in your life and that you can develop your life in such a way that you can go after that dream and live your best life. I want life to be better here on earth because I was here. 
that's really important to me. And I already feel like I've accomplished that, but there's a lot more that I want to go on to accomplish. Amen to that. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. uh, before we close, Janet Lynn, I'd like to uh, ask you if there's anything currently going on in your life, if there's a website or email, if anyone wants to look you up or get in touch with you, uh, is there any information that you want to give out to the listeners? Yes, I do go by Janet Lynn. So you can find my website. It is Janet-Lynn.com. And there are different tabs. I'm working on updating it currently to add this new book that is going to be coming out. And I'll be starting a vlog in the next couple of weeks. And there are going to be um, more updates coming and coming at you faster as we get closer to the date of, well, the big date that the book comes out. And you can also find my program there. Anyone that is interested in more information or even just to have a one-on-one free session can put their information in and it'll come straight to my email. So it's all linked up and there are different handles there that show what my social media handles are. And I would welcome anyone to follow me and uh, soon there will be a YouTube channel and lots of different exciting things are going to be happening in the next few months. One more time before we close, the website is? JanetLynn.com. Brilliant. Janet, thank you. Yeah. Thank not you. O- not only interesting, certainly uh, brought me back in my own life. Various parts of your conversations really rang true for me as well. Again, uh, on behalf of Harry and I, actually Harry can say it himself. <laughs> uh, uh, just yeah. thank you. It's been a real pleasure and uh, good luck with everything that you're doing and continued success and happiness. Yes, ditto. Thank you very much, Janet Lynn. Well, thank you both, gentlemen, and the pleasure was all mine. Take care. Again, we'd love to hear your comments. Yeah, and an audiobook could be a bonus if you contribute. Yeah, and we have a little button on our website. You just press and record. Exactly. Ciao, Harry. Ciao, Peter. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. 